Hello. Welcome to this week's episode of the Empowered Artist Collective podcast. My name is Jennifer Apple. And this week, I talked to Allison Pierce, who shares her journey of becoming a costume designer for TV and film. She breaks down the various positions in the costume and wardrobe departments, how each impacts the process on set, and talks about the importance of collaboration in bringing a director's vision to life. We discuss her decision-making process when choosing projects, her efforts to minimize impact through sustainability, and what it means to maintain mindfulness for both design and the environment with this kind of work. Allison also provides insights and advice on navigating this part of the industry, what it means to forge meaningful connections and learn to trust your intuition, and she shares tips for newcomers hoping to break into the field. Enjoy. Alison Pierce, nice to see you. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. For anybody who does not know you, who are you today? Today, I'm a costume designer. I work in film and television, and I'm an amateur ecologist. Oh. Yeah. I think I'm really into my garden and native plants and all the animals and insects around. And okay. that's something I've been thinking a lot about recently. Have you been it's observing just... or interacting or is this just like, what is the, inter- what is the new title edition? I just decided like yesterday, I was like, I think I'm an amateur ecologist. I mean, <laughs> I, I read like my spare time. I like to read about it and okay. I, I, um, started my garden at my house like a year ago. And it's, you know, been a big uh, thing for me this summer, not having like all the projects, you know? So I, I don't know, I'm gardening, I'm planting things. I'm learning about butterflies and moss and insects. And it's been really fun. Is this something that's like new though? Or have you always been into plants or? I, felt, I think I've always been into nature. Okay. Yeah. But I lived, you know, I lived in New York and then I lived in Philly, like in cities. I grew up in a very, like, I was, it's like suburban, but lots of state parks around. And then I lived in cities for, you know, 12, 13 years. And I really, I felt like I was hiking all the time. I I bought a cabin, like right before the pandemic. Um, And... I think that I just like being out in the world and being around trees. Yeah. And then when um, my husband and I moved to, like, we kind of live in the suburbs now. Amazing. <laughs> but also adjacent to, like, a really amazing state park. Okay. Um, I think I just, like, can actually experience it on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, so grounding for me to be around it all the time. Like it's, it's very like inspiring creatively, yeah. honestly. Well, that's what I was going to ask. I'm yeah. I mean, delving into yourself as a costume designer. Are you finding that it's informing the way that you are thinking about your creations <laughs> by you being <laughs> amongst the nature in this way that isn't just like peripheral? You're like, no, I'm, I'm a budding one over here that I'm really excited about. I think that, um, space and environment has always been like a big part of, you know, the way my process works with, um, costuming characters. So I think that, um, it was always kind of in the background. Um, I, I've, I've found that I've chosen scripts and chosen projects based on where we're shooting it a lot, because if I am not inspired by the landscape and the environment, then, um, 
like I'm physically going to have to be in that space and I'm going to have to come up with characters that make sense there and that are like inspirational for me and for the audience. And if it doesn't resonate with me, then, you know, why would I do that project? Ooh, juicy, juicy. (laughs) I mean, from my perspective, I would never, and this is why you're here in the space, by the way, because I would never have been like, oh, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to have to be on location. And therefore, if I'm uninspired by that, then why would I bother being there for this period of time that tracks to me? Um, I'm curious how you became a costume designer, and then we can go more into your process as you create. I grew up being very interested in lots of different art mediums. My mother is a pastel painter and she actually works in business. So she kind of always wanted to craft. I was always doing art classes. I was always doing art camps and music camps, drama, theater, like all different types of things like sports. I was kind of just like dabbling and my mom recently was like, well, you have to just try lots of different things to see what you like. Um, I remember going thrifting with her, like at the Salvation Army and the Goodwill. My grandmother was actually a tailor professionally. Um, She was from Poland and she worked in factories, like factories where they sewed potholders with asbestos, like real, like very back in the time when Philadelphia was like a factory city, like a textile place. Um, so I think I also had, you know, sewing and textiles around me at a young age and my mother taught me how to sew. So I think those things kind of informed me and I was interested in, in clothing and fashion of some kind. I didn't really know that costume design existed, yeah. <laughs> you know, when I was growing up, I liked to watch film and movies and TV. Yeah. And then, um, I kind of thought I wanted to go into fashion and it, it ended up just not being for me. I went to Parsons in New York city. Okay. Um, and one of the cool things about Parsons, I don't know if they still do it. Um, you are required to get an internship as like a credit, uh, okay. per semester. Each so, semester starting your, your freshman year? No, it starts, I think it starts your junior year. Okay. Yes. Um, so it's like the concept of preparing you. And then, you know, those internships might lead to jobs. Yes. Yeah. Who knows? Um, so I did a few internships and like I, one internship I did was not even film related. It was uh, for the Fader magazine. Okay. And... <laughs> I, cause I've always really been into music yeah. and I really liked, I really loved that. And at the time, this is so bad because, you know, they would never get away with this now, but their graphic designer had left and I knew graphic design. I so know. I was like designing like some of their seven inches and oh like their, um, party invites and stuff. Um, <laughs> you're like, I'm here to do this, but I, I guess, like, yeah, I can become 20. your entire marketing yeah. team. Sure. Like why not? <laughs> It was funny, um, but really, really fun like a really cool internship. Um, and then I worked for another internship I had was for Eden, which was, I don't know if it's defunct, but it was one of the first famous sustainable clothing lines cool. and it was run by uh, Bono's wife. Wow. Um, and that was really cool, but that was working for like the sales team. And I, you know, I thought I wanted to do fashion and, you know, working in sales and fashion is just like working in sales. Like Mm -hmm. it's not even with a sustainable line, I guess. 
I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Anywho, that was sort of like the beginning of me being like, I don't know if fashion's right for me. Okay. And I had friends at Tisch and they were in film. And then I started to like learn about, you know, what filmmaking was and see these, uh, you know, my peers kind of making their own art and making film in like a different, um, like making art in a different medium that I had never really been around. Yeah. Yeah. And when you were on sets, I imagine with them, were you doing like their student films with them as you were starting out? And that was kind of like, oh no, wait, this is something that I can use as a transferable skill. And now I actually enjoy being in this environment and that clicked in that way. Yeah. I think, um, the gear was really interesting to me. Like the, at Tish, they have access to, you know, crazy, really oh, yeah. cool gear. Like they were shooting on film. Mm-hmm. They were, you know, 21 year old kids shooting on these like cameras from like the forties. Yeah. It was really, really cool. And I could see how they were like lighting things, but they were using spaces. Like there was this one film, um, a girl that I went to high school with ended up at Tish, and then we were kind of close and she was doing a, fil- a film and we were shooting it in her apartment. Okay. So it was like, we were going into this space and bringing in this gear and this, this lighting. And like, it was a space that I was in all the time, but you know, reimagining it yeah. and, and transforming um, it from something exactly. that was, that just... was really interesting to me. Yeah. And so people started being like, okay, cool. You actually have this skill set. Can we start using you to dress our folks on set? Was that like what happened? Yes. I, I think, uh, that film with, uh, her name's Jackie, that film specifically, they had asked me to act in it and then also be, I think they use the, the term assistant costume designer or something. And I was like, sure. Um, and I've always been really into vintage and we were shooting it in black and white. So it like, it challenged me to think about vintage and textiles and fabrics and pattern in a way that, you know, you don't see in black and white. So I had to like go through at the time we were using like my closet and her closet and like using these, like, um, like eighties dresses or like seventies sequin pieces yeah. and thinking about how they'd look in black and white. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So flash forward from that moment, you're like, this is, uh, this is a spot. This is a thing that exists. How did you propel yourself into where you are now? It, it took a while. I mean, I started out kind of in still working in like fashion styling. Like I, I found out what costume design could be career wise, but I, I think the access wasn't really there for me for a while. So, um, how did I do it? <laughs> You're like, I have to think. I honestly <laughs> think I like just convinced people and I started out small and I, you know, I remember like I met this amazing artist, Will Rahilly on Craigslist and okay. he was doing like a, experimental film and I made the costumes for that, you know, trial and error. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I feel like I just told my friends, you know, I don't want to like be a fashion stylist. I want to do costumes. And someone said something to a producer and a director who are making a film, it's called American Milkshake. Okay. And they interviewed me and they hired me. And I hadn't really ever been on like a big film set or wow. anything before. And they hired you as the main costume designer. They hired me as a costume designer, cool. yeah. Did you it have a lookbook? Really... Did you, like, what did you get? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, yeah, I made, I mean, it, now 
looking back, I mean, it was like probably like four pages or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was more like a mood board okay. than a lookbook. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was like a, it was independent film. I don't remember what the budget was. Um, but it was a nineties basketball dramedy. So okay. the cost, it was like uniforms, vin- like the period, like all the things basically lots of extras, yeah. um, is really challenging. I feel like I probably didn't do a very good job. Well, you clearly did because it continued getting you hired. So it went to Sundance. It was in the next category. This was like, I don't know, 2011 or 2012 or something okay. like that. Um, so I feel like I also met a lot of really amazing people on that set. Um, so th- from there, I was like, oh, this is something I'm really interested in pursuing as like a real career. Yeah. 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 And when you bounced from there, where did you go after? I was still kind of in the costume design space. I think around that time I joined uh, 764, which is the wardrobe union, mm-hmm. because starting out, it's good to be part of a team and it's good yeah. to learn how others design and learn how to run a successful team or a not successful team, you know, however that goes. And 100%. I did know a few, a few costume designers when I first started out or I had met them. And so I was like a set customer for many years and I got for help people insurance. who don't know what that is. What is yeah. a set customer versus say a costume designer? So a set customer, um, is part of the team in the wardrobe world. So, you know, there's the costume designer who runs the costume department and the wardrobe supervisor who runs the wardrobe department and the wardrobe department is on set. They're kind of like the face of the both departments. They're the ones working with actors, making sure the actors are, um, miked correctly. Um, kind of like troubleshooting if anything arises on set, like if there's stains or repairs that need to happen. Um, and it's like everything like involving prepping the costumes, making sure they get turned over and washed. So really just like being on set all the time and making sure the costume designers vision comes to life and working with them to make sure everybody's happy. I mean, I found that trying to learn what every role is in my, um, department has been really valuable for me because then I know um, what it's like to manage those people and those members of the team, you know, because the costume designer is the leader. And if I don't really know what the tailor does, then how can I ask them to do anything or what can I expect product wise from their work, you know, and how do I know someone's a good fit for me when I'm hiring them? Yeah. Um, Tailoring is another thing I kind of learned how to do. That was like a a cool uh, part-time gig. Mm -hmm. I kind of same kind of way. I, I was like, I could be a tailor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Okay. Wait. So this is helpful for me. If I were, let's say I had a massive budget and we were on a big budget film or a TV set that had access to all the departments that would fall under costume categories from wardrobe to costume to set, like all of those things, what would be the potential positions available? There's, I mean, there's a lot. There's so both both departments you're thinking yeah just like for people to understand this angle of a team of a crew and really all the positions that are in it you know i think of it in terms of say like if we were talking about it from theater and you have 
the music department, you have your music director, you also potentially have an orchestrator, you also potentially have your, you know, assistance, assistance, you have like all this, all of the different positions, because people kind of create a monolith of like, oh, well, they're just in costumes. It's like, well, actually, yeah. no, there's, there's one like, person. Yeah. yeah, no, there's like specialties that go into this. So what are the possible? Right. I mean, I know there's like a breadth of positions that run between but like the main bullet points. Um. So in the costume department, it's costume designer, assistant costume designer. Often there's multiple assistant costume designers. Mm -hmm. And then um, as needed or full-time, you have shoppers who are just strictly out there shopping based on what the needs of the designers are. Um, And then within that department is also the costume coordinator who is in charge of the budget and managing all the receipts and the returns and kind of working with the design team to make sure you're on projected budget per character. Okay. And then there's um, costume PAs, of course, who are very important. Um, They're kind of generally doing day-to-day things. So they might be um, checking in items that the shoppers are purchasing or doing pickups, maybe from like fabric shops, maybe there's a rental pickup. They don't do the pulling themselves, but they'll go pick it up. Um, Then, I mean, the tailor, I guess, is technically in the wardrobe department because they're in the wardrobe union. So then the wardrobe department, um, you know, without a a really successful wardrobe supervisor, the costume designer, you know, can't implement any of the designs. So the wardrobe supervisor runs the wardrobe department and then they, have a key costumer who's like the leader of all the costumers on set. Um, Then sometimes the key costumer and the principal costumer are like the same, like maybe you have a a show with two principals that are in everything. Um, So you might have a few principal costumers. And then the rest of the people on the costuming team are generally set costumers. So they're you know, as needed, or maybe there'll be like a background costumer on days when there's lots of background. Okay. Um, also in the war department, like I mentioned, are the tailor. And then there's ager dyers as well. Which are? And ager dyers are very important. They come in and work with the design team to accomplish, you know, what's the look of the film? Is it a zombie apocalypse film? Mm -hmm. And you need, you know, doubles of X costume, you need five pieces, but you need it to make, you need it to look like it's been rusting and aging for like 60 years or however long, or it's been covered in blood for a month or Mm -hmm. something. And that's what the Ager Dyer does. They work with all these like tools and dyes and materials to kind of like, break things down, make them look like certain events have happened while the person was wearing the garment. Yeah. Um, so it's like the magic behind the camera. <laughs> it's wild. And then yeah. sometimes, obviously, depending on the genre, depending on um, the vision, I would imagine that the costume team works also with like the makeup d- department. And then, you know, like I'm curious about the overlaps of how these things interact. Uh, yes. I mean, I, it's very, I mean, yeah, I talked to, I talked to everybody, you know, collaborating is like a fun, really fun part of my job. I mean, I, I definitely talked to the makeup designer early on, but yeah, I mean, like if there's a day that's coming up and we know 
like maybe there's an intimate scene and an actor has to take a garment off. Mm-hmm. We're working with the makeup designer and the hairstylist to understand um, what that's going to look like. Yeah. What's the garment that they're taking off? Yeah. Is it like white? Is it going to get really covered in makeup? Yeah. You know, those are like the kinds of like technical things we discuss before a scene like that. It's wild because I think so many of us, and I'll speak on behalf of myself, take for granted that when we watch it on like on film and you just see it in front of you, you don't think about like, oh, right, this person literally spent hours potentially in hair and makeup and now they have to remove a garment. And if that comes off in a certain way, then it will get makeup on this garment or it'll move the hair in a way that is like, now you're going to have to edit it in post. Like we don't, I don't think about it because it should feel seamless and it should feel natural, but these are all decisions that have to be made, which is just I, I, for me, I think it's such an incredible thing to be reminded of the intricacies of creation and how it really is in these fine details that allow it to all feel really seamless. Right. You know, on the back end. Yeah, I think that um, all those physical movements in a script and for a character can really inform the design process mm-hmm. for me. So I think it's really important for me to speak with, you know, the director, the actor and be like, you know, what are you thinking for this scene? What's the potential blocking going to be? Um, Because then I can make choices and decisions costume wise that are going to, you know, be the most comfortable and look the best, make the most sense for the character. Yeah. When you're brought on for a project, now that we're like in present day, (laughs) when you're brought on for a project, (laughs) is that, do you sit down with the director? Do you sit down with the creative team? They tell you the whole thing that they're envisioning and then you go off inspired and live your best design life? Is it more like you were pitched this project, they've given you the overall without the nitty gritty, you come back and at a meeting, you all just share what you share. I guess, depending on who you work with, maybe this process changes. I'm curious from like the start, how you're um, vision begins to come to life and play with the other parts of the process. I'm never in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. If I am, then something's not going to make sense on set. Yeah. And I need to be communicating with the set decorator, the production designer, the director, the actor, yeah. um, the prop master, mm-hmm. the sound designer. Like I need to talk to all those people. Yeah. Um, because my choices inform their choices as well, you know? So um, a set decorator is a really good example. Like if there's a a scene that's taking place in like a therapist's office and one of the characters who happens to wear beige all the time is sitting on a beige couch, you know, though for some reason therapist's office always have beige couches. (laughs) (laughs) It's a neutral space. Yeah. you know, that I might be like, well, that's an interesting choice to have a character kind of blend in with the environment. Or I'm like, that doesn't feel right for this scene. Like maybe they're breaking out of their typical like character arc for this Mm -hmm. and they're going to be in something a little louder and brighter, or maybe they're in black, you know, like it's important to talk about like what your plans are for certain scenes coming up in the schedule because we shoot out of order yeah. and you have to stay focused with your design and what the through line is yeah. uh, visually. So when you get a script, do you on your own end create the character arc of each character and how you envision that being visually represented in their clothing and then depending on 
the order that you're shooting in, depending on any sort of adjustments that are happening to the script, then you change it? Um, I mean, I usually come up with an arc for each character after I read, after I read the script, I'm like, okay, well, this is our hero and she goes through a really emotional transformation and how would this affect her physically? How would it affect her dress or how would it affect her, um, overall look and what does that mean for me? And then what's helpful for me is identifying event wise, script wise, when there are specific things that happen in the story, uh, which scene numbers are those. So then I can kind of pinpoint when, uh, the arc might change or, you know, noticeable changes might happen. And it can be very subtle. It can be like, um, this character was wearing their hoodie zipped up because they were closed off to the world and now they're like blossoming. So they're taking off layers. Like yeah. it can be something like that. It doesn't have to be jarring for the mm-hmm. audience, you know? So when we shoot out of order, just like kind of making like a roadmap to how to make that, uh, make sense when you're not shooting for design, you're shooting for time and location yeah. and camera, you know? Yeah. It's such a, cool thing to talk about with you in this way, because again, like what I said earlier, if we're watching, when I watch TV, I'm not necessarily thinking about these things. I'm coming at it from an actor's perspective and just like watching their acting choices, but to be cued into like, oh, what they're wearing right now is informed by this part of their journey to be a little bit more cognizant of the fact that this was a choice that was made to allow this actor to get to where they are emotionally in their journey of this arc is again it's not like i'm pretending that this isn't happening but it often just feels so seamless that you don't focus on it and that is such that is the brilliance of what it is that you do which is like if this is all gelling together it just becomes yet another element that feels like it's so a part of this character's identity and how they live and move and breathe in the world. I think the other thing that was so interesting to hear you talk about was the textural element, the lighting element of it, how I would imagine, you know, if I have something that is velvet and I'm having a certain kind of light shining on it, the reflection of that velvet in the light will, of course, be captured on camera. And I might not want that versus like, oh, no, actually, that is a really cool thing. Let's play that up and using the texture or even sound you were saying, right? I imagine if somebody's in like hard leather and they're moving across set in leather and we're picking up sound in whatever space that could be really helpful or actually a hindrance to that moment. And thinking about the costumes as also being elements that are affecting the other elements on set. Yeah. It's actually funny because I was like wearing this other shirt earlier and then I came in, I did like a a test with the microphone and the headphones and I was like, this shirt's really noisy. Like I had never noticed it, but now I'm using a mic similar to, you know, one that an actor might use. And I was like, I'm not going to wear this because it's going to make it difficult for like your sound recording and it's going to be a distraction. Yeah. And I've, I've noticed that when I watch things, like if someone makes a choice and the costume is really noisy, that's the only thing I'm really focusing on. Yeah. And I'm not really focusing on what's going on in the scene yeah. or what's going on with the character. Yeah. You know, I'm like, wow, I can not really hear them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's funny, like our access points for these things, right? Cause for me, I'm yeah. not coming from the costume perspective, but now hearing you talk about it, I feel like now I want to 
like switch my brain to kind of watch these elements play and see how they're affecting all the other things. Because my access point, yeah, it's like the emotional arc that a character is going through as an actor where I'm like, are they actually playing this honestly? But right. thinking about all the other stuff too, that could be really helpful or not to an actor and just real and or just the process of watching a creation happen. I think it's a fascinating element of costume design that frankly, I haven't thought about because I'm viewing it as a visual medium as opposed to all these other things. Have you been using the same monologue for years and could use a new piece? Are you applying to BA, BFA, or MFA programs and need a monologue for that process? Are you simply someone who has no idea where to search for monologues? Well, lucky for you, I do what is called monologue sourcing, in which I find monologues specifically chosen for you. So many artists use pieces based off external labeling for types and roles, rather than find pieces sharing who they really are and what speaks to them. So we meet virtually together, and you share with me who you are as a human, what you love, dislike, your values, beliefs, family, friends, love, politics, you name it. I will help guide you through this, don't worry. And then I go off on my own, and I find you monologues chosen just for you that fit like a glove. I have been doing monologue sourcing for years as an extension of the coaching I do with artists, and I have found pieces in this way for over hundreds of artists thus far. So... If you are someone who wants to feel empowered about the monologues you bring into rooms and use for auditions, I would love to help you find them. And because you are a dedicated listener of the Empowered Artist Collective podcast, I want to provide you with a custom link to an exclusive rate when you check out today. Head to empoweredartistcollective.com slash podcast promo to register. That's empoweredartistcollective.com slash podcast promo. I cannot wait to find you monologues you absolutely adore. I'm curious, you know, on a timeline, say with like SNL, which I know you've worked at, where there's like, it's a fast pace. We change these. It's not like we're going and building for three months to create a feature film. How mm -hmm. do you, does your process change when you're in something that's so quick? Is there more flexibility? Is there actually more rigidity? Sketch is a beast all into itself. Yeah. <laughs> with sketch, you usually have to go for like what's the quickest beat and what's going to read really fast. Whereas if, like you mentioned, if you're designing for a feature, you know, that that person might be on camera in that costume for like 10 minutes yeah. and, you know, you can see all the subtlety and you can see how it interacts with the space and with the character. Um, and it might have like layers to it. So I think with sketch and SNL, um, I learned to make like much faster decisions and I think often trust my gut and just trust what my instincts are about like what a character should be and what they should look like and yeah. what's going to read the fastest for the audience to register and be like, that's Al Sharpton or, yeah. you know, that's, um, Steve Harvey, or I'm just thinking of characters that Keenan Thompson plays. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, like making sure it makes sense in a quick way yeah. for the audience, you know? Yeah. So that's about the recognition rather than the arc of it. It's like the, the play into that. Yeah. I mean, I think sketch is more to me about, um, yeah, about like a quick read and also parody and parody is not really about an arc. It's more just about 
seeing something in the world, whether it be like a musician, like a pop star or politics mm -hmm. or whatever, and doing the research in detail about what that person looks like yeah. and then completely recreating it seamlessly. So there's no doubt in the audience's mind and like hair and makeup are so important yeah. aside from the actor acting this way, yeah. you know, so that that's who the character is supposed to be. That's it. Like there's yeah. no question. Yeah. Do you enjoy the pacing of sketch work more less different than something that is say a feature where you have a lot more time? I, I do commercials a lot mm -hmm. now too in between um, movies and TV and I like to do both and I kind of like I feel like sometimes doing a commercial is similar to doing like sketch because it's really fast oh, yeah. and you get to see the work quicker usually um, and it's more like straightforward and you still have to please a lot of different people and mm -hmm. make it make sense but it's maybe like a quicker process for yeah. me. Okay. Um, I don't know that I, I guess I do know. I, I think I prefer features in television. Yeah. Because, because I, yeah, I did, you know, I loved working on SNL, but I did leave SNL in 2019. Um, I just always have loved working on movies. And I think that that's probably um, why I do it more often than not. Yeah. How do you pick the projects that you obviously, you know, now you were talking about the landscape and having to spend time for a long period of time in certain areas that places might be shooting in. But what for you now are the deciding factors when you choose a project? I really have to love the script and, you know, feel called to it in mm -hmm. some way. Um, if it's not, if I, as just like a random person reading this script, who might potentially work on it if I don't feel like I can relate to it. Like, I feel like there needs to be some kind of like common ground yeah. where if I can relate to it, then I feel like anyone can. And that may be a good gauge on whether a project will be successful or not. I'm not sure. It's, mm -hmm. it's sometimes hard to tell. Sometimes something that was a uh, not so great on paper ends up being like a massive hit in yeah. the film world. Yeah. Um, but I think that story is really important and character is really important. Um, I did mention environment. That's really important to me. I also want to know, um, you know, what the director's point of view is on this. Um, having stories that are female driven are really important to me. I feel like I should be elevating women mm -hmm. filmmakers and queer filmmakers and people who want to make things that are not just the same cis white male yeah. stories that have been going on forever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I feel like I have a lot of great female filmmakers that I like to work with. Yeah. I mean, cast is obviously super important. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're going to be on set for a lengthy period of time dealing intimately with these folks, then yeah. you want to like the people. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, you know, the most like successful actors in most of the time are the ones that work really well with their crew and are like wonderful on set and are great collaborators. And I feel like that's important information. Yeah. You know, am I going to be able to really feel freedom creatively if I'm working with an actor who maybe is notoriously very picky? Yeah. You know, those are important things to know. Yeah. You had also spoken a little bit about um, your 
desire to and involvement with moving towards a more sustainable way of dealing with costume design. I'm curious how that factors into your choices. If you come in being like, this is something I want, is there a budget for this? Like, how do you factor that into your project decisions? It's just like a way that I live my life. And if I don't put it into every aspect, including my, you know, my career, then I think I would feel like a fraud, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I, the last project that I was able to implement sustainability, I don't think I mentioned anything to any, like the producer wow. or anything. I just like, you know, it was my budget and I decided to use it in a certain way. Yeah. I didn't really like process wise. I think that there was more, probably more thoughtfulness put into um, the crew and the, you know, the, uh, human manpower that is like involved with making costumes and making them special versus spending, you know, $10,000 at, uh, Saks Fifth Avenue or whatever is the easy way out. You know, um, anybody can do that. And I think it's, it's good to flex and try new things and challenge yourself. Mm -hmm. And filmmaking is always just troubleshooting in Mm -hmm. my opinion. (laughs) So I think it's like, why not try to make the world better with like the small little, you know, place that I can, um, implement, you know? Yeah. And are you bringing the same intimate team with you per project or are you usually assigned it depending on? I usually hire people. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do you have like your people that you love and that you stick with, or do you have like a rotation that you're like, okay, I've worked with them last project. I'd love to work now with this person. <laughs> I think kind of both. I mean, I'm, I'm like, I'm always open to meeting new people. Um, my wardrobe supervisor, I've done a few projects with Marin Reese is really wonderful. We've done, um, two movies together in the last few years. Um, I think we balance each other really well, which is really important because we work so closely. I think when my brain goes one way, her brain goes the other way. And that's really valuable. Plus we're good communicators with each other. Um, And Ricardo James, he is a key customer. I've also had on a few films that I really love. Um, But I've been into mentoring a lot in the past couple of years. Um, I was a mentor for an organization in New York last year. And I think that I'm always interested in like helping people get started in the industry. And if that involves giving them jobs, like it usually does, that's something I'm down with, you know? Yeah. Well, that, that leads me to my next thing is like, let's say somebody happens to be really, really good at sewing or somebody's really interested in sustainability or they're like really loving to thrift and they're all about costumes and whatever. And they haven't necessarily thought, oh, wait, this is something that I could do. And now they've heard this podcast and they're excited about the prospect of this being a pathway into this creative space. I know nothing is linear and there is no one way to do any of this, but what are some things that you would suggest for anybody who is curious about dabbling more into this as an actual profession and not just a hobby or something that they're doing to, you know, make ends meet in a smaller way? There are usually resources within like unions, like my union has resources and I'm in um, local 829 Mm -hmm. um, for people who are interested in learning about, you know, what someone who's a costume designer might do. Um, I think also I like to read a lot and that was helpful for me when I first got into the industry. I read books like 
there's a book called The Art of Costume Design. There's another book called Set Etiquette. And I felt like I learned a lot about um, filmmaking. Yeah. Um, it's cool to have at least some reading going into something. And I kind of approach this with everything, like with gardening or like birding. Like I'm like, it's cool to just like have a little information session before yeah. I go out and like do it in the real world. Yeah. Um, also, I think that you, uh, not everybody has um, a network, but maybe if you know someone who knows someone and you just want to ask them if they'd like to get coffee or ask them if they're around um, to have like a quick meeting or a phone call, that's usually a good way to approach it too. Yeah. I mean, people have done that to me many times and I'm always open to talking to someone. Yeah. It doesn't cost me anything to yeah. have a 30 minute conversation and, you know, maybe I could help someone. Yeah. We forget that so much about this industry is really about the relationships that you have and not like a skeevy way of like networking, but just like, I know you, you know me, I like the way you work and therefore we might be like-minded folks and the collaboration might be really fun because we all kind of see things in a similar way or are interested in creating in a certain way. And yeah, putting your feelers out in that capacity to try to find those people I think is actually a fun prospect to be like, oh, cool, 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 right? Like now I'm cultivating a community of like-minded individuals who are going to be creating in a way that is similar to the way I want to create. Um, it's also just, I would imagine you really learn best when you're on set. I think it's, that's what's so hard is like, depending on what project you're a part of, the set will be run differently. The different people in place will be running things differently and how it works will be different. So it's like you can't teach it until you are there. But having the foundational stuff from maybe these books will be like, okay, at least I know what I'm playing with. And then I can be adaptable from whenever I get into that space. Yeah, I think I agree. There's no way to teach someone how to be on set. They just have to be on set. Yeah. Yeah. But you can give them maybe some guidelines, like yeah. don't don't talk a lot. <laughs> Don't wear flip flops, you know. It's funny <laughs> little, because that's little things exactly. Like that. yeah. You wouldn't be like, oh right, right, right. That would make noise as I flip around set, or if you're also running around. Can, yeah, also it can be like dangerous if because yeah. there's like electricians Correct. laying wires everywhere, or there's gear on the ground and you could trip. You yeah. know, it's just Did you like, learn that the hard way. Is that why you're saying? <laughs> I think someone taught me that. Okay. I don't think I learned. I don't think I had a trial and error. Yeah. Or like. I've had to say to um, people like wear comfortable clothes that you can like move around in. Maybe that's not like a tube top yeah. and short shorts. Maybe it is. I don't know. But yeah. like, you know, if, if you're going to have yeah. long days, yeah, you got to be especially if you have to have like a walkie talkie on you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you're talking that somewhere. Yep. <laughs> Just thinking about mm hmm. Especially. Yep. Mm -hmm, yep. Been there. Not with a walkie talkie, but like a heavy phone. And you're like, that was yeah, yeah, a long yeah. choice. I should not yeah. have been wearing that. Is there anything that looking back, you wish you had known earlier when you first started out? I think a lot about relationships. I think a lot about forming relationships and being mindful of that. There are other people's opinion. Everyone has their own like way of looking at things yeah. and relationships in this industry are very valuable. And I feel like I have a lot of really amazing relationships within film and filmmakers. Um, but I feel like I wish I had learned that at a younger age in the industry to, to start like cultivating really, them when you were yeah. younger. And just like take time and, you know, check in with people because they might be great 
collaborators, but they also could be like, you know, lifelong friends. And I feel like that's happened to me on films where I've met people that I'll be friends with forever, but who I also love to work with. So Mm -hmm. I feel like maybe it's a getting older thing, realizing that, you know, it's good to keep track of those people. hundred percent. Do you have yeah. the, do you have like a spreadsheet of people that you have worked with or is it, you're just really good with top of mind. Let me check back in. Uh, I do have spreadsheets. My agent, my agent asked me to do that, Okay, <laughs> but this is more just like people I've worked with who are producers or directors yeah. or actors or whatever, yeah. you know, and you know, how did I work with them? What companies are they with? And just like, keeping that's more of like a agent thing like yeah. them keeping me on that filmmaker's radar yeah. you know um yeah. but as far as like me checking in with people yeah i mean like letting them know what i'm up to if i have like a new film coming out like i had a movie paint come out and like being like here's the trailer for paint here's yeah. a movie i did the costumes for you know i hope you go see it in theaters yeah even just like fun things like that yeah that's not always instagram no, which is <laughs> arguably just a full highlight reel and not personal. You're not yeah. like, thinking of somebody individually, 100%. Yeah. What about if in similar vein, and we kind of mentioned it a little bit, but for somebody who like wants to get on set and they don't necessarily have those relationships just yet or they're forging those relationships slowly, what are your thoughts about people just being like, hey, can I shadow or, um, you know, s- starting – at say the NYU, like I'm just, cause we had that as an example, like, you know, the student film, um, leg of things and seeing what comes from that, like, where is the starting point or does it not actually matter as long as you just make the ask? I mean, I still do that now, like cold calling and cold emailing. Yeah. Like it, you really just have to get creative with how you reach out to people. And like, if you email 10 costume designers, there's a good chance at least one of them will get back to you. And all you really need is like one person. Yeah. 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 It's really just about coming, maybe like cultivating a way to contact, cold contact people um, and emailing them or, you know, I would suggest email. I I don't like it when random people text me. (laughs) I'm like, how did you get my number? Do I need to? I literally had to do that the other day. And it was they like like, something, 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 something. I was like, who is this? I don't care. Yeah. I don't know. Do hello. And then they never responded. And it's like, okay, now is this a spam? And now where are we at? Yeah. Phones. I mean, it's like back in the day, I remember when we would be sitting down for like family dinner and then you'd get the spam caller and we would tell them we were like climbing Mount Everest. And now it's like everybody calls your phone that hand, like is in your pocket, which is a totally yes. different situation and just level yes. of privacy. Anyway, we all have different boundaries. In that but how, how would someone have gotten into filmmaking before all that existed? You know, know. Yeah. you would, you would go to like a meetup or like maybe go to a film screening with your local um, film society or something. Yeah. You'd, you'd go to like an event or something like that and you'd meet people. And I feel like it's the same concept. You could do it um, like on the internet. You don't have to do it in person. That's, yeah. ha- that's hard to yeah. go like network by yourself at a party and I've done it, but um, you just well, have that to That is open. still a possibility. I yeah. mean, if, if you're an extrovert who loves that and that's where you yeah. thrive, then, you know, not discounting that as an option as well. Well, I think also if you're looking to get into an industry, film 
I would find, I find it to be like a bunch of people who are like kind of like nerds and are interested in speaking with people who are excited about, you know what I mean? So I think it can be quite welcoming if you kind of go in with an open heart and, you know, are open to speaking with people and maybe you meet someone who's not exactly a costume designer, but they know someone who, you know, like it, every connection you make in the beginning is going to be valuable. hundred percent. As we begin to wind down our time, is there anything that we didn't talk about in the costume design s- sector that you feel we should mention? <laughs> well, we sort of talked about sustainability a little bit. Something that I think about a lot is not using animal products mm-hmm. in my designs and whatever that means, like cashmere leather, you know, if I use wools, like where are they coming from? Like what's the process? Mm-hmm. What kind of chemicals are being used? with the dyes. I mean, that's something I think a lot about in my own life, Mm -hmm. all the toxins and the PFAS and the BPAs that are like around us all the time and trying to not propagate those problems with my designs and make mindful choices. So I think mindfulness is just something I think a lot about with custom design, especially in the last like five years or so. Are you doing that via research on your own end prior to going into things so that you understand where you're coming from with it? Or is it more at this point now you're like, all right, I have this under my belt because I've learned in real time. And now I just know that these are the things that I go to. It's both. I mean, I, I am interested in it. I'm interested in how I can be effective in being part of the solution and not being part of the problem. And I think that means, you know, not taking the easy way out, like I suggested and, you know, doing fast fashion for all your characters. Um, but knowing that, you know, when you put a character in polyester, you know, that polyester doesn't degrade for like a hundred years. Whereas if you put a character in cotton, that's got like a 10 year shelf life or some, or, um, decomposition rate, you know? So I think just thinking about it in terms of like, what are my choices and how are they impacting the environment and the world around me? I love that you're doing that. And I think that sets you apart from many other folks. So that's really, really awesome. If anybody wants to work with you and hire you, or if anybody wants to contact you and maybe have a little coffee virtual chat and what have you, what within your boundaries is the best way for people to reach out? You can contact me my website's allison-pierce.com. I also have an Instagram, Allie underscore Pierce, or, you know, email address is cool too. Amazing. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for taking time to chat about this. I think it's always really helpful to get different insights from people in the industry doing whatever they're doing because it's all part of a larger <laughs> ecosystem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and as, you know, I discovered while talking to you, it's like these little details that we take for granted just as a consumer and watching or even an artist in a different category of the creation that we're not necessarily thinking about. And I think for myself, at least, you know, it, it makes me a better artist to know how the other artists in the space are operating and then we can better collaborate. Um, so thank you for being a part of the larger ecosystem and doing so sustainably and creatively. Um, and, uh, Thank you for being in the space and educating people about all of those things. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Yay. If something in this episode resonated with you, and more importantly, if this podcast means something to you, it would mean the most to us if you would leave us a positive review. This means the most in podcast land and allows us to continue creating these episodes for you weekly. 
If you are not yet doing so, please follow us on Instagram at Empowered Artists Collective, on TikTok at Empower Artists Collective, more on our website at empoweredartistcollective.com. If you are seeking some fun, cute merchandise, we have that link for you in the show notes. As always, I am so endlessly grateful that you keep on coming back, and we will be back again next week. Until then. Thank <laughs> you.